That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. It's good to be back on the microphone. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me through this little break. I needed to take some time away, get some things organized, re-strategize a bit, work on self for a moment. I had so much support uh, from the community of that sober guy, from my family, from my friends, and I uh, just greatly appreciate it. It feels so good to be back um, with you guys and uh, and just back in front of this microphone, ready to pour my heart out, ready to talk to some interesting folks in the recovery world and in the just the world in general. I love it. I love it. If you notice the new intro, that was from Humans, super dope group. My homie Robbie, who we connected through the podcast, um, I'm hoping that uh, one day he will come on the show and share his journey that he's experienced so far in this world of of recovery and trying to stay sober, but. Check out some of Human's music. Uh, super awesome. As soon as I got turned on to it, it's just been bumping in my headphones uh, for the last uh, last couple of months, actually. So thanks again, Robbie, uh, for letting that sober guy rock some humans on the intro and the closing. Um, and also, thanks for having Jess and I out to San Francisco to see some Human's music live. Super tight. Jess got to have some fun and dance a little bit for the first time in many years, I think, that... Uh, we kind of got together and got to get out on that tip as a as a couple, not just mom and dad and and husband and wife and uh, professional. It was just fun. Damn right. Damn right. Damn fun. Today's guest is Jason McKenzie, and Jason has got a hell of a story for you. Uh, let me just read you a little bit from Jason's blog, and uh, he he runs a platform called The Book of Open. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the episode. But check this out real quick. I'll just read you a little little paragraph from this. He says, It's been 2,239 days since my wife's suicide and 621 days since my last drink. I drank a hell of a lot for a long time. I did all the stupid stuff that drunks do. Puked all over. Pissed all over. I actually had to buy my friends a new bed. I drove drunk. I said stupid, stupid things and thought I was smart while I was saying them. I felt guilty. I spent all kinds of money. Felt like shit. I made choices that destroyed my ability to reach my potential. Then I made them again and again. But I had the best excuse of them all. My wife committed suicide after a tragic battle with bipolar disorder. Who are you to tell me not to drink? Have you been through what I've been through? Have you experienced my pain? Did you raise two beautiful girls through hell? No, you didn't. So I'm not interested in your opinion. It all seems so unbelievable now. So that's a quick little preview of some of the content we're going to be talking about with Jason. And we'll get into the book of open, his open blog that allows people uh, to go on and share their, their story of, uh, of triumph, of struggles, all those good things that, that we all deal with in life. But before we do that, we have a few announcements to make. And first, a word from our sponsor. Hello, my name is Noah, and I'm here to remind you that no one, 
has ever found their way who has not felt lost. At Foundations Recovery Network, our mission is to create lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. In our history of doing good is the promise of your future getting better. So if you or someone you love needs help, please know we are here to help. Yes, we are the leader in evidence-based integrated treatment for co-occurring mental health and substance abuse disorder. And what we have learned is that each person has their own individual needs for recovery. So we do that for you. We create an individualized treatment plan for the whole person, for the whole you, because to us, you matter. If you or someone you know needs help, call our confidential and private line at 877-714-1318. We are here to help you. And help has a phone number, 877-714-1318. Make the call. We're listening. We're Foundations Recovery Network. Yeah, definitely check out Foundations. Uh, they're a great organization, very genuine people. I've met um, quite a few of them in the last couple of months, and I'm really, really happy to uh, partner with them. Become a member of that Sober Guy community if you haven't already. Uh, when you go on, you can sign up. You'll get emails, uh, quick little tips. You'll get the podcast emailed to you. I don't email. I don't send out a ton of them, so it's it's nothing that uh, overloads your mailbox or anything. Um, it's probably once a week. Um, with the podcast and some updated info. That's it. Check that out. You can do that at thatsoberguy.com, www.thatsoberguy.com. Also, check out the private Facebook group. It's really building a valid community of great folks all around the world who are in recovery or who want to be in recovery. You can go in there 24-7 and bounce some ideas around. You can see some positive quotes. You can talk to different people. I've made so many different cool connections from all these different people through email, obviously in the show, but also from the private Facebook group. So go on there. There's a link on the webpage. You can do that. You can also search it sober guy, sober girl on Facebook and check that out last, but not least. And then we're going to get to the podcast with Jason McKenzie. Definitely don't miss this one. It is superb. Let's read an iTunes review. This one is by CPJ. It says kick-ass tool for sobriety. This podcast jump-started my decision to stop drinking. I listen to it as often as I can to keep me motivated and inspired. Thank you. Short and sweet. I love it. Also, we have some great guests coming up. I'll just preview a couple of them. We have Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. All of those books sold over 500 million copies. He's also uh, recently put a book out called The 30-Day Sobriety Solution. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We have Tad Stringham coming on in uh, in June. Um, this guy has an amazing story. Uh, he was in prison for multiple years. He was part of a white supremacy gang, and I believe he was assaulted and stabbed and almost lost his life and came back from that, turned his life around and is now helping other people in recovery out there. And, uh, just, uh, really excited about talking with him. We have the sober senorita coming on also, um, Kelly Fitzgerald, and she's going to be telling a bit about her story and her platform, uh, her blog and, and what she's doing to help others today and how you can get involved in that as well. We just really have some great guests. Aaron Walker, another another uh, great guy who's coming up. He's affiliated with Dave Ramsey. Um, he does some mastermind groups with him and has his own successful uh, coaching business and mastermind group business. Just some, uh, some, some great people coming up. So I'm really excited to share some of those interviews and some of those uh, advice and all those different opportunities that lie out there for us in recovery. 
We all know once we get sober, once we make that decision, that commitment, our lives turn around for the better. And I promise you that. I promise you, I never, ever would have thought that my life could be the way that it is today. And that's not to say I don't have my struggles and my ups and downs. I definitely do. Um, But at the same time, I would not trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything. This life is just a beautiful thing. So let's, uh, let's jump into the podcast now. Here's Jason McKenzie. What's up? Today, we're talking with Jason McKenzie. Jason is the founder of thebookofopen.com, which is a blog and story sharing platform. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that has to offer. And uh, as we get on into the conversation, Jason, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. And I want to uh, tell you that it's an honor to be on your show. And I really admire you for the important work that you're doing. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I, I, I really do appreciate that. And uh, I feel the same way, man. You've got a great story. Uh, you've been through a lot in, in life. And uh, I'm really excited to have you share it with, uh, with the listeners out there. So thanks for coming on today. Okay. So let's jump right into this, man. Who is Jason McKenzie? So I am almost uh, 43 years old. I'm the father of two girls who are 12 and uh, the youngest one is going to turn 11 next week. I'm married to a beautiful woman. She's my second wife. And yeah, I've uh, had a pretty interesting story. So um, my first wife and the biological mother of my children um, struggled with bipolar disorder for many years and uh, she ultimately and tragically committed suicide, which was uh, a pretty horrible experience, as I'm sure everybody can imagine. Um, You know, and and one of the ways that I dealt with that, it was a very, very difficult time. And I turned to alcohol uh, as a way of coping uh, with all the grief and and anguish of that time during her illness and and her death. And I I think that uh, what I realize now is I I also used it as a way to um, prevent myself from grieving her death, even though I wasn't really aware of it at the time. Um, So yeah, I've, I've been sober for almost two years now and uh, I'm now, um, you know, starting to get my uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial juices flowing and trying all kinds of new things. And my life has just completely changed. So um, I guess at a high level, that's, that's who I am. So one thing that I've noticed in recovery in a lot of us who've dealt with addiction, um, with depression, with uh, alcoholism, um, is that a lot of us grew up in an environment similar to that, whether, um, you know, our parents may have been alcoholics, we may have had dysfunctional families, um, I don't know really who had the perfect family actually, except, you know, leave it to beaver, which is, um, right. just, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a show. There's a reason it's a show because it probably, you know, what 1% maybe has the perfect family. I don't even know, but, right. um, did you grow up in any kind of environment or, or let me rephrase that. How, how was your childhood? How did you grow up? Was there any signs of alcoholism? Um, what was that like growing up as a kid, Jason? Um, you know what? It's funny because not, not at all. Like, uh, I guess you could say maybe my grandmother drank too much, but I mean, I don't think it was anything that was too extreme, but I had a very, um, traditional type of upbringing with, you know, my mom stayed home most of the time and my dad worked and he took me all to my hockey practices. We had a pretty peaceful home. So I would say that there's, it wasn't a learned behavior at all, but, um, yeah, I guess I, really started, uh, I guess it started to become a bit of an issue for me when I was a teenager. You know, I, I got drunk for the first time when I think I was 13 and I don't know why. I think it was a, some sort of form of rebellion against mm. 
I'm not even sure what I was rebelling against, to be honest with you. I, um, but it was, and then it kind of progressed from there. So I drank when I was a teenager. I mean, um, like a lot of teenagers do, you know, but I, I would binge drink a lot. And, uh, I think that, um, I think that, you know, my parents would probably admit this too. So, uh, they were great parents, but one of the things they had an issue with, uh, was context. So they, they looked at, they tended to look at everything. They had a very straight laced upbringing, you know, a very sort of, um, isolated. My dad grew up on a farm in a rural, you know, rural area and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, um, so they kind of tended to treat everything with the same brush, right? So whether it was, you know, having a drink or being taken home by the cops, it was all the equal sort of <laughs> severity. And yeah. I guess what I, I started to do is I started to discount their point of view on it, I think is what it was. And I started to rebel against some of that. And, mm. you know, I guess, I guess they were doing their best. I mean, they were great parents, you know, and, and nobody's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's the only real thing I can, I thought about it a lot. And it's, it's the only sort of thing I can trace it back to, but no, they didn't, you know, I might've seen my dad drunk once. Yeah. I, I can think of one time. So when did, when did you, when did you start drinking um, more or regularly? And when did that, you know, when did you kind of become aware of that? So I guess I was, like I was saying, I always had a tendency to binge drink uh, in my earlier, in my earlier life. And then, you know, when I turned 19, I started going to the bars and, you know, it was just, I was in the army for a while and it's really part of the culture there. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really, it's encouraged. And, um, and you know, so that was part of it. But then through my twenties, I, I would drink and I would drink to excess sometimes, but then I would go, long periods of time without drinking too. It wasn't, it wasn't really, um, I mean, I would consider the binge drinking a problem, but again, I would just go long periods of time without drinking. Yeah. And then what, what happened was, um, I think those, whatever was inside of me that gave me that, um, you know, urge to binge drink or whatever. Um, when, when things really started to get difficult with my wife and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I mean, that was when I really started to drink a lot. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, there was so much chaos. It's really, it's really hard to explain, um, because it was probably five to six years of nonstop, you know, just devastation every single day, basically, yeah. like whether it's going from, you know, to near bankruptcy to, she was a police officer, so she couldn't. She ended up not being able to work, and she would move out for months and months at a time. She ended up in a homeless shelter at one point. She was in rehab. She got electroshock therapy, lost her short-term memory. Um, she was trying to take the kids from me at various times, and all of these things. And I mean, this is two thousand about two thousand days of just that, all that. And I'm trying to raise two kids and keep a job, and you know, manage the finances and all of that, and. You know, there'd be, by the end of the day, man, I didn't want to think about anything anymore. And uh, I just started drinking and I, it just became a habit really. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just a, a mechanism to forget. And then what, so that's really when it became a, uh, a huge, well, it became a problem I mean, yeah. I wasn't uh, waking up in the morning. It's all relative, right? And I'm not trying to. I, we're all we're all different. I wasn't, uh, you know, having vodka and orange juice with breakfast every morning. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, uh, 
I think what I did too that that contributed to it during that time was I had a real uh, persona that I had created around myself about who I was. And that was I was a leader. I was a type A personality. I had my emotions under control. And I had it together. So when I drank, that meant like even in my heart, I knew I was drinking too much. That didn't jive with the persona that I created for myself. So I told myself that, yeah, you know, I have it together. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that when all this stuff was going on, um, I also rationalized it in a way because I said, like, I am doing a phenomenal job getting through this. If I need to drink in order to keep everything else together, I'm going to drink. And no one is going to tell me that I can't. Even though I was doing destructive things, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean. But I guess I, I I had no shortage of ammunition to rationalize it in my own head. So one of, one, of, one of the things that I think that that you're doing that is just amazing is bringing awareness to bipolar disorder. Um, you know, we we talk about alcoholism addiction, of course, too, and there's there's definitely awareness being brought, being brought out more of that today. Um, I think the depression, the anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, it's such a huge issue in our society and, and, and a lot of people struggle with it and um, they don't know where to turn to. So I really love um, the fact that, you know, you've started the book of open and you mm-hmm. have allowed um, other people to come on and share those stories as well as written some of your own work. And one of the uh, articles I came across um, recently too, or was um, I saw that the anniversary of your wife who passed um, is coming mm-hmm. up. The article that you had or the post that you had written on there was some of your journaling from going through this time of her struggle with this and how that affected you, how it affected your kids, um, you know, mm-hmm. that in that entrenched in that moment of time. And um, man, it was, I can imagine what it's like for you to have to go back and read some of that stuff. It was even, um, you know, I, I, I could feel your pain and having to even just read it myself, but, um, can you get into a little bit of that? Just the, the, the pain and the, and the struggle of dealing with a loved one who is struggling with a disease like bipolar disorder. And then not only that, trying to raise a family, trying to raise two kids and then having your own issues with alcoholism. I mean, that's gotta be just a huge weight that is um, really tough to deal with. Oh yes, it really was. And and one of the reasons that I, I want to share this is because, you know, it is a, a fairly prevalent issue and you, you, I think people are being more open about it now, which is great, but, but you can't, Unless you've experienced it yourself or, you know, live with someone who's going through it, it's almost impossible to imagine what it's like. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the things I try to do is, is to try to write in a clear and, and direct way about just what it was like. Like I was one of the people, I was one of those people, like a lot of people are, who probably, th- that, you know, I thought depression was, okay, you know, get out of bed. You yeah. just pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I... You can't, like, I could never have imagined. It's inconsolable mental anguish. You know, it's, it's like you can't get out of bed. You can't even lift your arm to get a glass of water. You are full of self-loathing. All your nerve endings are exposed. You cry for days on end. And then the manic part of bipolar, uh, which is the opposite side of the spectrum, is just nonstop self-destructive, dangerous behavior. We're talking spending money, drinking, abusing drugs, sexual 
uh, crazy sexual risky behavior, uh, anger, and I'm talking rage, rage, and and uh, ice, you know, alienating your friends and your family and and all of these things because you're making all these bad choices that have real life consequences. And in the the bipolar person's mind, I guess there's some level of awareness that nothing is turning out like it's supposed to. So it's always somebody else's fault, huh. right? So and and a lot of the times that person was me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was we had a we had a really great relationship, and we had been together for a long time. And we met when you know when I was 19 years old, and uh, this started happening probably when I was 32, I guess. Uh-huh. And um, you're you're just watching it's the it's the most unbelievable thing to watch your this woman that looks like your wife and sounds like your wife saying the saying and doing these things that are so out of character you know like you can't it's and so and then part of what i think i did and i'm sure it's very common is all i wanted to do was to return to some type of normalcy right so i would anything i had a really hard time it was, I guess it was the same thing as, as drinking in a way, but I, I had a really, really difficult time quite grasping how bad it had become. Um, and, you know, I would have people tell me, like, you're, what is going on here? And I would kind of, the beginning, sort of rationalize it, you know. And then, yeah, I don't know, it, it's every, I, I started having anxiety attacks I, because she would, I, she'd pull in the driveway and I, I just, I couldn't handle Yeah. Yeah. What, what what might happen when she walked in the door or, you know, she would leave for days on end doing God knows, God knows what, you know, but nothing, nothing good. And, um, and then to go from that to the depressed part, which is equally as horrible, but for me, it was easier because she was home, right? Yeah. When you're manic, when you're manic, everything, you, you externalize everything, your rage is directed outward. When you're depressed, you, uh, you're very introspective or inward looking and everything's your own fault. You're a failure as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a, an employee and all that kind of stuff. But at least she was home and safe. Um, but it was, you know, anywhere in between those two extremes for five or six years. And then there's no, there's no real help in a way because, you know, you, you find out she's bipolar and she gets a referral to a psychiatrist. And I thought, wow, um, okay, we're going to go to the psychiatrist. We'll, you know, lay on the couch for a few hours or a few <laughs> sessions. We'll talk through it and we'll pick our life back right up where we left off. Yeah. And uh, it's not like that. They are medication prescribers basically. And in this case, and it was sometimes the medications, there was one time uh, when she was on four or five uh, very, very powerful psychiatric medications, which just tells me they have no idea. Yeah. Right. And, it, and she was literally walking around like, like a zombie. And it, it was, it was almost worse than the illness itself. So, um, yeah, so then to to deal with that, you know, and drinking and trying to raise two kids and I you know, it sounds a little bit cliché, but you hear the phrase day to day, but that's yeah. all I was really doing. I wasn't really thinking about it, thinking about it in those terms, but it was just get through today. Yeah, trying to get through get, that day. Yeah, and then I'll get through tomorrow and we'll just you know, one, you know, one of the things I noticed in the in the um in the journaling and the notes that you kept and it it was kind of a surprise to me because I didn't realize this this could be such a big issue too. Is the is the spending of money? I noticed oh. there's a lot of random, um, almost almost every, you know, almost every couple of posts. It's like 
She withdrew, you know, $300. She spent $800. Like what, what was that part all about? And is that, is that a common thing in bipolar disorder? Like, um, just, just spending amounts of money randomly? Yes. Oh, it is. And yeah. So, I mean, when we, when this first started, we, she went, took our our line of credit, which was, had zero, no balance on it to $20,000 in two months, two months, say, I guess. And, um, you know, and then she continued to rack up debt, credit card debt. So we consolidated all that, that, that money and, and got a consolidation loan. And then she just did it again. And, um, do you think that but, was, was that like trying to fill a void? Do you think maybe like the, with buying stuff, I, I don't know, I don't know what she was spending the money on, but like, is it, do you think that there's something, um, you know, psychological about that, about trying to fill that emptiness maybe that she was feeling? Does that have something I, to do with it? I think that could have something to do with it. I also feel like I think that a big a big part of it is that when people are manic, they have total delusions of grandeur, mm-hmm. right? So they they feel like they can they can basically they own the universe and that they can do no wrong and every decision they make will, you know, just change the world for the better even though they're horrible and terrible decisions. So I think that was a bigger part of it was just yeah. that whatever was driving her mind, she thought it was a great idea. Right. You know, so there was there was points where she was she had one point there where she was going to become a um, a uh, like buy stuff at pawn shops and then she was going to start reselling it. I mean, she was full on in the in the grips of a manic episode at this time. Yeah. So she went and she spent a thousand bucks. You know, our garage was full of crap. And, uh, of course she never followed through because that's one of the things like there is no follow through, you know, our house was in constant chaos because she would organize it to the point of complete disorganization. Nothing was ever finished. So it was just nonstop stuff like that. So, so, so let's get into now and thank you for, for kind of breaking that down and telling us some details about it. It's, um, you know, as, as saddening as it is, um, I think that it's interesting to bring up you know, the, the effects of it and the symptoms Mm -hmm. of it too. And hopefully maybe someone out there listening, um, who might have somebody that is, you know, going through some of this stuff, maybe it'll help them better understand it. Um, let's get into you now. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about going through all this, all this, you know, these times in dealing with dealing with all these different situations, the ups and the downs of it, the financial issues, um, the emotional issues. So how does that, lead in and, and to you and your drinking and what does that do on a daily basis to you? So, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I, I would find myself, there, there was times where I was, she had been gone out of the house for weeks and, you know, my kids were up at my parents three hours away, sometimes for a month or two at a time. Like they were very young at the time and I'd be sitting in my house in the wintertime, it's dark, just drinking myself into oblivion because the alternative was to think about all the things that I didn't want to think about. So I was always what I would consider, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if, you know, somebody was functional or whatever is a, a term, but I would always, I never stopped working out. I always did all those things. And I, that was one of the things that I, so I would always get up in the morning, early in the morning and be right back at it the next day. Um, and you know, that was one of the things that allowed me to rationalize to myself that this wasn't really a huge problem at all. Because look, man, I got all, I got my, I got it together here. I'm, yeah. I'm working, you know, and all that. I'm raising two kids and the whole bit. So there was a lot of that. I never really uh, got to a point where I was non-functional, uh, but I did a lot of stupid, stupid things, all the regular stupid things that people that are drunk do, right? So, And then um, what happened, I think, was so there was that whole part of it, and you know, there was 
then when she passed away, um, she, she took her own life. And, you know, I wanted to turn the page so badly that I just wanted a normal life again. So I had met somebody. We, we had been separated for about a year and a half at the time of her death. I mean, I still loved her. I just, we couldn't, it was just too much. Yeah, so I had to, yeah. so, um, anyways, I had met somebody new at this point and, um, I just wanted to turn the page so badly that I, I wanted to, okay, you know, this is a terrible thing that happened and now it's time to move on and start building a new life. And so what I did was, which, which is what I did. Yeah. And, um, which, you know, you, you can outrun, you, you can't outrun your demons, right? You, you will face them at some point. So what I did was, does that go back to kind of what you were saying in the beginning of the episode or the beginning of our conversation is that you used it, you used alcohol to grieve. And in a, in the same instance, you really didn't grieve at first. Does that kind of relate to what you're saying? Yeah, it does. It does. Because I didn't realize, I didn't have the self-awareness to realize that I needed to, it's as crazy as this sounds, I didn't have the self-awareness to realize that I needed to grieve her death. You know, I thought I had grieved her, almost her life and death and the loss of our relationship while she was still alive in a way, you know, because so many things had happened and I had to go through that whole process of understanding that our relationship was over and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, we split, she died. i started building my new life and I continued to drink. And the excuse I used at the time was, you know what, leave me alone here. Like mm-hmm. I've just been through hell. I came through it. I raised two beautiful kids. They are doing great, all things considered. Um, you know what? They're, who are you to tell me that um, I can't drink, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, which, which I guess in a way you could, you could think about that and say, yeah, you know what? That kind of makes sense to a certain extent. I mean, that's a... It's so, it a, so does, man. It, even right now, I'm like, well, yeah, like just... Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of yeah. weird, actually. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Just drink as much as you want. Just because of the pain of that, of just hearing it and, and imagining that emotional um, just hurt and pain and anguish and all of those things, man, is just like, I, I feel justified for you right now just hearing you say it, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah right. So the thing is, though, that works. You can, you can kind of skate by using that as an excuse for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. Four years later, it was wearing pretty thin. Right. With my, with my yeah. wife. So, um, and that's, and that's really what ended up happening is that I was, I, I really, I say this to people a lot. One of, one of the things that I was doing, and I wasn't really aware of it at the time, uh, but I was settling. I had defined what good enough was. So listen, I've done this. I've been through this. I've got a good job. I work out. That is absolutely good enough. That because what I was doing was I was comparing myself to everybody else instead of comparing myself to me and my own hopes and dreams and capabilities and all that stuff. So, I yeah, it started to wear very thin after about four years of after her death, and uh, you know, which is when things kind of came to a head, I guess. Yeah. So so let's let's get into that a little bit then. What was that moment um, of clarity for you? What was that moment <laughs> where you 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 kind of picked yourself up and said, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And, um, this is what I'm going to do about it. Yeah. So this is, uh, I know we had talked about this a, a little bit before, but this is one of those moments that sounds like 
something out of a movie. Um, and I, I, I spent so much time thinking, oh my God, if I could figure out some way to recreate this moment for people, God, I could have a, <laughs> I own an island in the Caribbean. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, so it was a, a, a single moment of clarity, but with a lot of, uh, you know, events leading up to it. So what happened was my wife started to become less tolerant of, you know, it's funny. She became less tolerant of my drinking, but what she became even, I guess, more um, concerned about was the fact that I was crippling my ability to reach my potential. And that's what she started to push back on really hard, right? Because she was evolving as a person, uh, as a mother, as she was building a community with, at our school. She was exploring her art. She was learning new things. She was trying new things. And she was, I could see this actually happening too. And it really scared me actually, because I was stagnant, man. Like yeah. I was just, and I could see that this woman is evolving into a person like there's starting to be a gap here between us because she's yeah. continuing to evolve and i started getting really really terrified of what happens if that gap gets so big that it can no longer be bridged what's going to happen then yeah. you know and then i started thinking oh my god if like that'll be, be is that because i'm drinking every night like it's, it seems so weird to that there was even a question in my mind about it, but I had, I had just started to believe I had been repeating the same thing so many times that I just believed it to be true about rationalizing drinking and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, to make a long story short, she really started to push back hard. So I would use all the same rationalizations. I'm good enough. I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. And they stopped, they stopped working. And I'll tell you, it was terrifying because I felt like the emperor with no clothes. Like I, I felt naked and exposed, <laughs> like, Oh my God, the, the same things I'm repeating are not working anymore. And I, what am I going to do? Like I got to, and my, my first response is I've got to think of a new way to justify it. Yeah. <laughs> not quit. You know, I just, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, I'm the smart guy. How am I going to think of a new way to justify it? Yeah. And then I was sitting, I can remember sitting in her office talking to her about it. And I, I don't know, it was almost like I could hear my voice from outside my head. And I, I listened to what I was saying. This beautiful woman who came into my life and became the mother of, of these kids and gave them the greatest gift they could ever have. And she's basically begging me to let her help me. And I am basically refusing to let that happen. So I could almost hear the words I was saying from outside my body in a way. And I thought, I sound like a crazy person. Yeah. The things I'm saying, I sound insane. And uh, so then I ended up, that was probably a few weeks before I quit. And then I had a particularly bad day. Um, one day with my daughter, I, I had um, just my younger daughter and the, my, my older daughter and my wife were gone out, out of town, I think. So what I did was 11, waited till 11 o'clock. That's when the bars open up here and I took her to the pub uh, and we had some fries and sat on the patio and I had a few beers. Then I went to the liquor store and basically drank all day, huh. you know, and at home. And uh, yeah. even while I was doing it, that was the, I felt so horrible about what I was doing. And I, my wife came home and, and she was just very disappointed. And she told me that my daughter said that she didn't have a very good day with daddy. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm welling up right now just thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, tough, man. Yeah, and I, uh, I went to bed at, uh, I just went, to, went downstairs actually and, and went to bed at like 6 o'clock. And I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and uh, I just sat bolt upright in bed. I was like I was almost having an anxiety attack actually. Mm. And I, uh, I said, I just had this moment of clarity. And I, th I thought, 
I was thinking, I think I'm, I'm done drinking here. Like this is which there's no historical basis, you know, for me to have any type of confidence. I mean, I had tried to quit and failed like yeah. a million times. And I went upstairs and I woke up my wife and I said, I think I might be done drinking. Like, and she's like, right. You know, I said, I, I, <laughs> Yeah. I can't, no, no right thinking person could expect you to believe me. I'm just telling you that it feels different this time. And, uh, I've never touched a drop since, and I've never had any desire to well, at all. So I, I hear that often. Um, you know, many of us tried multiple times to stop. I know for me, it was like the classic, okay, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or I'm, yep. I'm oh, yeah. a big one for me was I'm just going to smoke weed instead. I won't drink, yep. you know? And so I would just smoke weed and then sure enough, you know, in, in a week or two, I'd be back to drinking. And so yep. it was this continual process of this. Um, what do you think was really different this time for you? I, I think that I, I think it was just a culmination of something. The thing with my daughter, uh, cause I, I always, I always prided myself and identified as a, an extremely good father. And that moment was something I could not run from. Like yeah. this good, good fathers do not do this. Right. And, and to hear that she was disappointed with how the day went. And, um, and again, I think I respected my wife so much that I, I, I was already having these doubts anyways. And I think, but that was the, I think the straw that broke the camel's back because I was thinking, you know, these kids have had their mother die and now their dad is basically a drunk. You know, and I, it just was, I, I just couldn't, I guess I ran out of, I ran out of ways to rationalize it in my head. And I think yeah. that may be what happened. Right. And I, yeah. I just saw, I finally was able to see it for what it was. And I just, I don't know. I just stopped. Do you think that, um, that the pain was just, you just kind of had it with the pain. I, I think, uh, you know, I know that was kind of similar in my case. Like I was just over it. I was so tired of trying to, you know, say I'm going to stop. And like, like I was saying before that process just over and over. And then, I mean, gosh, if you take the, you know, your kids involved in it and I had kind of a similar experience with that, I've shared it before in, um, you know, on the podcast, but I had, I used to step out and I would smoke my, my weed, you know, in the garage or on the side <clears> thing. And one day, I think my daughter was like two and, um, she came out one day and I just finished up and so it was still kind of smoky in there. And I always tried to mm -hmm. keep it, keep it, you know, away, but kids aren't stupid. And mm -hmm. she just looked right at me and she goes, daddy, it smells like evil in here. And she turned around oh and walked God. out. And I just, it was like that moment, even though it still took me a couple months after that, before I ended up going to rehab, but that moment, just like when God just punches you in the gut <laughs> and it's just like, dude, wake up, you know? And so that I, I'm wondering if that, if that, ex, you know, having that experience of just like your kids and like, dude, I'm a, I'm a better person. This I'm a better dad than this. You know, I can do better than this. Was that, was that pain <clears throat> just something that was just like, just there? Yeah, it was, you know, and, and it was, I, the, the thing that, that, stopped me or kept me drinking is that I could never say it out loud though ever oh, yeah, you know that's so such a good point it was killing me inside like I'm not a stupid person yeah. I in my heart I knew what I was doing was wrong the feelings I was having about it I you can't hide from those feelings I mean as yeah. much as I tried to justify it and all that stuff 
I did. I felt there were so many times I felt regret. There were so many times I tried to quit. Never said they never said that I was trying to quit. Just yeah. trying to quit. Sometimes I started drinking. Sometimes before I quit, uh, <laughs> you know. It seemed like, yeah. But uh, I could never ever just look at my wife. I've said this. I've, I wrote. A, I wrote this down in a recent blog post. But you know, I, I was never able to look her in the eye and say, "I hate what I'm doing and I need help." I just yeah. could not bring myself to do it. I don't know why. Um, well, I know why I was ashamed, right? Yeah. Obviously. I, yeah, why, it's, but it's, it's I just, tough. I could not do it. So I, I, what was the alternative? And I think one of the, actually, I think one of the reasons I couldn't do it is because if I said that and then like, if I, if I didn't say it and I tried to quit and I failed, nobody would know. Yeah. But if I said it and I asked for help, then I was a whole lot more accountable Yep. And that scared the living Jesus out of me. And not, not yeah, and, and not only that, then you got to give up that crutch too. That was a big one. Like it was like, okay, if I admit to this and um everybody knows about it and there's the failure factor involved, of course, but not only that, I got to give up my my mistress, my best friend, you know, that bottle or yep. that joint or whatever it is that I use to medicate myself and and take, you know, out of this reality that I'm living that I hate. Um, so I I know that there's a lot of people that are, you know, experiencing very similar feelings to that. Can you just talk to them right now and just tell them what that is like? Um, once you finally just express that humility and finally give it up and say, I need help. Like, what is that like? And what did that do for you? That was a, I, I can't, it was the most liberating Thing that could ever happen to me, I think. So, um, you know, and it was a really interesting voyage of discovery too, because one of the things that I'm sure everybody does, I sure did, was I created all all these fears in my head about what was going to happen yeah. if I gave up drinking. You know, my friends aren't going to like me. I'm not going to be able to socialize. How am I going to like talk to people? Um, you know, like all that regular stuff. Right? Yeah. It was just such yeah. a part of my life, and and I don't even know if I'll like me. What if I quit drinking and um, I'm still like really, the, I, I'm at the limit of my capabilities. Like what if this is just me and I just quit drinking, but I'm, otherwise I'm still the same, like all these things. And so I created all these fears in my head to the point where it was easier to, to continue to drink. So when I just finally stopped and I, I don't know, it wasn't something that was like miraculous right at the, at that moment. Um, because I didn't really ask for help in a way I just huh. stopped <laughs> like yeah. I so I wish I, I I'm looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight and I god I wish I had had the courage to do that earlier yeah um but what happened was I was still very very scared of all of those things I just mentioned after I stopped drinking mm-hmm. but what happened was over time like I, I can remember vividly the first get together at friend's house uh, and I was just drinking water and you know it I just said, yeah, I still feel like drinking tonight, you know, and, and that was yeah. good. And then I went back the next time and it's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to quit drinking for a while, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, some people asked me about it and, but it turned it funny. It wasn't really a big deal. Yeah. And then, and then what happened was my, I started to realize, uh, all these fears, I think I may have made them all up <laughs> and none of them seem to be coming true yeah. at all. Like none of them. And so then what happened was my life just started to like basically 
I don't know, like over the a few months, it took off like a rocket in a way. Like it just yeah. started to change. And then I got to the point where I was like, I would go to a party and like, yeah, I'm done drinking, man. <laughs> and my life is so much better. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, all, every single thing that I was scared of was all made up by me. That's cr- unbelievable to think about. It you is. Know? It is. And so, so let's, let's move into this, uh, Jason, let's, let's talk about today. What is today like for you? Um, you know, living, living sober, a sober lifestyle, um, and starting the book of open.com, which is just a great resource. Let's start there. And then I also want to talk a little bit, if you don't mind about your, your physical regiment, you know, you're, you're 43, you're probably in the best shape of your life. And I want to hear yep. a little bit about what you're doing, uh, to, to help with your recovery, uh, mentally <laughs> through exercise and fitness and health and also, um, physically what you're doing as well. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. So I guess I would say now it's been almost two years. Um, and I don't, I don't think of myself as uh, anymore as somebody who quit drinking. I don't think of it in those terms. I think of myself as somebody who has welcomed, uh, or created space to welcome all the possibilities around me into my life. That's how I think about yeah, it now. I like and, that. um, you know, so it, it's very liberating that way. And I want, I want more of that. So what I, yeah, it's crazy. What's some what my life is totally different. I'm, I've met, I've started, one of the things I started to do was when I realized that, okay, this is going to stick like my, I'm not, there's, I can't really see any chance of me going back to drinking anymore. Um, I started to talk openly about it, right? Cause I thought, yeah. oh my God, if I'm going through this, there's gotta be, I didn't, I wasn't really, I never talked to anybody about it. So like, I never, I didn't know how many people were in the same situation I was in or I just, I was just focused on me. And so then I thought, you know what, I'm going to, there's got to be a lot of people that are going through this. I mean, maybe my story can help them, you know, so I started writing about it. And then I thought at work, I work for a really huge uh, automotive manufacturing company. So I got about 130,000 employees. And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to share my story here on this, on the company newsletter, which they get about 20,000 copies printed. And it was totally open, man. They were like, oh my God, are you serious? Would you be willing to share that? Yeah, I would. You know, so, (laughs) um, so it got mailed all over the world and I, I made all these contacts with people and I started to realize, okay, there is something super powerful about sharing your story here that I never realized, you know, because I didn't do it. And so I started, that's when I really started thinking, man, I got to do more of this. And I have to create, I was seeing that by me being open and honest, I was creating a place of like a safe place where other people could do the same thing. Right. And then, so they would reach out to me and say, well, I know this guy's not going to judge me. God, look, you know, (laughs) (laughs) look what he's done. Right. So, which is absolutely true. So I started making all these connections with people. And then I thought, you know, I started writing a blog called From Drunk to Monk. Um, I never got anywhere near Monk, but, uh, you know, the d- daily journey to try yeah, to get a little bit closer. The idea was there. <laughs> yeah, the idea was there. And uh, and then I thought, well, just just about a month ago, I thought, I gotta, what if I created a platform to make it really easy for people to share their stories? And that's when I got this idea of the book of open, because I thought, you know what? I don't even want you to have to start a blog. I don't want you to think I'm not going to share my story because I'm not a writer. Yeah. I'll host it. I'll help you write the story if you're not comfortable with your own writing. Like I'll help you um, edit it and all that kind of stuff and, and just really lower the bar or lower the barriers um, to sharing your story. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it seems to be going really well so far. And I've made some great contacts and I'm on podcasts like this one and I'm reaching a bigger <laughs> audience and I'm, know. you know, connecting with these amazing people. And that's one of the things that I, I find is, you know, 
now that I'm not judging myself anymore, I don't judge other people at all. It was crazy what I was doing, you know, instead of, instead of spending my time trying to raise everybody up, including myself, I was trying, I spending my time really trying to tear people down and bring them down to the level that I thought I was at. And I mean, that's a fool's game. You know, (laughs) that's a, that's a dead end way to, uh, to live your life. So, um, yeah, it's just, I spend so much of my time now having positive conversations with people about positive things, making positive change and connecting people together. And my, I don't know, my whole world is different, man. And it's just, it's so exciting. I I love that, uh, that, you know, now that I stopped judging myself, I stopped judging other people. And it's, that's, that's such a important statement you just made because many of us live that way for so long. We, we, we see ourselves through, the eyes of other people, what they think of us. And, um, I know I, I did that for a long time. And when I was finally able to realize that that's, that's not true, it's really a false facade of who I really am. Um, God, it was so relieving to understand that. Um, Oh yeah. Let's, uh, so let's talk a little bit about your, um, your physical exercise, your health. Um, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Um, I, I'd really like to hear, you know, you're, you're 43, you're in the best shape of your life at this point. Um, what are you doing to, to kind of stay mentally fit as well as physically fit? <clears throat> so this is, this is a really interesting revelation I've had too. So I was always a worker outer kind of guy, you know, never was able to really achieve my goals. Um, uh, because one of the things I was doing was I was using working out as a way to <laughs> cancel out the damage I was doing. This is obviously not going to work, but this is what was going on in my head was I want to cancel out the damage I'm doing to myself. So I'm going to work out really hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then what I did was I started, uh, once I stopped drinking and I created some space for myself, I started doing things like meditating and reading affirmations. I don't know. I've, your audience may know Hal Elrod. I started doing his miracle morning routine and it actually totally changed my life. Um, but I started doing these things and I basically started making myself mentally and spiritually healthier. And what, what ended up happening was I got into the best shape of my life. And it was almost like a byproduct of having this, you know, having this healthy mind and spirit. So what I started doing was I really, I had always kind of liked biking. I, I had really not done it for a long time. Yeah. And I bought a, uh, so when I was still drinking, um, I bought a bike and I would ride it to work. And I looked at it as punishment, right? I got to punish myself um, and, you know, get this booze out of my system. So I ride my bike about twice a week. It's about uh, 18 miles to work each way. Oh, damn. And yeah, so, but you know what? So then what I did was I bought a a really nice bike and I rode that bike about um, uh, probably 4,500 miles last year. And what I, because what I, instead of punishing myself, I looked at it, as, I just totally changed the way I looked at it. I looked at it as a way to be outside, to see the sunrise, to have time to listen to podcasts on the hour it takes yeah. me to get to work each way. And just, you know, basically as a part of living a fuller life. So it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to miss this. I'm not punishing myself. I, I feel like by not doing it, I'm, I'm punishing myself yeah. in a way. And, and I just, I achieved these crazy fitness milestones that I've never ever been able to do in my life, whether it's riding 150 miles in a day or whatever, like all these things. And, um, so I do that a lot and I'm actually just, uh, yesterday I was listening. This is pretty funny. Actually, I went for my second bike ride of the season and I was riding up and down uh, this really doing some hill, hill climbs in a really steep area here. And I was listening to your podcast with Larry Hagner while I was uh-huh. doing it. And <laughs> nice. uh, so, you know, that's, that's, but that's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It was, it was 
physically uh, demanding, but it was uh, emotionally and intellectually uh, uplifting, you know, at the same time. And that's, that's what you got to do. You have, yeah, you have to make those, find a way to make those things work together. So then what I do too is uh, I, I do kettlebells a lot. So I used to go to the gym all the time. Um, and then just this year I thought, you know, I don't like the fact that my gym, my workout thing is kind of separate from my family in a way. So uh, my gym membership was coming up and I thought, I'm just going to buy some kettlebells. Uh-huh. I'm going to start working out at home. And, um, and it's been great. You know, like I, I did this crazy kettlebell workout the other day while I was helping my daughter with her homework, you know, and <laughs> nice. so they get to, yeah, they get to see me, they get to see what I'm doing and I get to be more physically here more and, uh, and my workouts are just so simple. I really, there are five or six exercises, but I just make sure that I kill myself every time I do it, right? So I have no program. I have no routine. Um, really, I just, you know, I probably throw the kettlebells around about four times a week and uh, yeah. just go all out every time I do it, basically. I, I think, I think too, and it's so awesome, man, all of that. I love the, I love the, the combination of, of physical and mental at the same time. You know, teach, you're, you're exercising your, your mental state um, you know, by listening to a podcast or, you know, listening to whatever it is, um, that anyone could listen to. I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to, um, different, you know, categories of stuff, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're doing it while you're physically, you know, riding your bike, which is awesome, man. I mean, you're killing two birds with one stone right there and it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's virtuous. Yeah. It's yeah. virtuous, man. Like it's it, wonderful. And, and I think the other important point to this too, is you're doing what works for you. You know, and I think that's an important key for for all of us to understand is, um, you know, something that works for you might not exactly work for somebody else, but there's something in there that that will work for them. And they need to figure out a way to create like, how do I create my own little program or my own little way of doing things that works for me? And so once we're able to kind of capture that, um, we can really open up a door to success, Mm. I feel like. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. I, and I wanted to just to, to quickly touch on that is that we are all unique individual human beings. What mm-hmm. works for one of us will not necessarily work for somebody else. However, we also have common threads that bind us all together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're willing to share our stories like we're doing today, we, we find out what those threads are and we we are able to they, they, they weave us together in a way that's almost unbreakable. It's just it's. Oh, I, yeah. I just love that I I see this now. Well, Jason, man, I I greatly appreciate your time today, man, and for coming on and your honesty and sharing your story. Um, can you can you tell uh, anyone listening out there who might want to get in contact with you, maybe get a little bit more information about the Book of Open? Um, where can they do that at, and um, how could they contact you? Yeah, so my my website is just as it sounds, thebookofopen.com. Um, for any of your audience. If they have a story they want to share about overcoming or struggle or fears or lessons learned, please, I would love to to host that and work with you to make sure that it looks and sounds exactly like you want. You can reach me at jason at thebookofopen.com. I'm on Twitter as Le Monk Defunk. Um, that's my French-Canadian uh, <laughs> uh, uh, salute there. And um, yeah, that's and my website too. I don't use it too much anymore. I have more transition, but... From Drunk to Monk, there's a lot of very, very good content on there as well. Jason, thanks a lot, man, for coming on today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Stay tuned for next week. 
peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.